Amen. Please be seated. Turn with me in your Bibles to Galatians 5. We spent three weeks analyzing these 11 verses on chapter 5, verses 16 through 26. The passage begins with some well-known verses fitting us to walk by the Spirit. Further, it says to be led by the Spirit. There are many references to living by the Spirit in these 11 verses. And my sense, or at least my experience with hearing this passage taught or preached, is that usually you receive a catalog of the sins of the flesh that are so explicit here, and then a catalog of the fruits, usually plural is used, of the Spirit, and you're kind of left with, come on, Christians, look like this and not like that. That's commonly at least how I have heard it. I maybe even have taught it that way before, of which I repent of now. Because having studied the whole book, you realize the context that chapter 5 falls into is what helps us understand what Paul is bidding us, the children of God, rightly related to God because we have been made righteous by Christ's righteousness. It's teaching us something that we can only understand aright. Otherwise, we'll be frustrated if we get it in its context. And the context of this book, very simply, is freedom in Christ. Christ has freed us from our sin. He's freed us from the penalty that is due unto us for our sin. He's taken it upon himself. He's freed us from the slavery we formerly had to sin. And so now, in this freedom, we are also free to love God and to serve God, to love each other and to serve each other. Having been made right with God through faith in Christ alone. And you know what happens commonly among us Christians that happened in Galatia? People come in and they say, wait a minute, that's too simple a message. If you tell people that simply trusting in Christ makes them right with God, they'll go do whatever they want. And so the Judaizers came into Galatia, did just that, and they said, you know, you can't just believe in Jesus. You have to believe in Jesus, but you also have to practice this ritual, honor this day, and do this thing or that other thing. And we look at it now and say, boy, how could they have added to it? But yet all the time we find ourselves adding things that we think gain favor with God. And we fall into the same legalistic trap that they fell into. And we look at this passage that we'll read today and think it's just another example of how we've got to try harder. We've got to do better. And where does that ever leave you? More frustrated than you were before. But in the context of the freedom of the gospel, free now to serve God, Paul encourages us by telling us to walk by the Spirit. Hear God's Word once again. Galatians 5, 16 through 26. But I say walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. And the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit... You are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, 
joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Let's pray. Lord, help us to see the meaning of this passage and how specifically it addresses each of us in our walk with you. Lord God, we thank you for Christ. We thank you for his fulfilled work, for his righteousness. We thank you for viewing us clothed with the righteousness of our great Savior. But Lord, at the same time, we confess to you a certain frustration that we know what is true, yet we struggle with what to do. So, Father, teach us what it means to walk by the Spirit. pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Picture for a moment a supernaturally strong individual picking up a piece, a large piece of, of coal, black, shiny coal that's, that's dark, it's cold, it's lifeless, it's dead. And he, this supernaturally strong individual holds that coal in his hands and he presses down upon it and applies pressure to it and over time it starts to transform into something clearer and cleaner and over time as he turns it the aspects of its beauty begin to show it becomes clear and it starts to develop and turn into a diamond and as you look at it as diamonds go they they vary in the levels of clarity and over time it becomes clearer and clearer the cut is sharper and more wonderful and spectacular and brilliant and you look at it and turn it and from every angle you see something new and beautiful about it and eventually and ultimately it's a perfect diamond that is exactly what God's doing with you I don't feel like it that's what he's doing he took a black piece of coal dead and lifeless and breathed life into it and then started applying pressure to it and starts to mold it and shift it and I don't know where you are in that process but that's what God's doing and over time, it becomes clearer and more brilliant and more spectacular. And ultimately, it won't be clear and the most beautiful until glory. But in between that time, that's where every one of you are. Every one of us is in that process of that pressure being applied. And when you take that diamond, whatever stage it's at, and you start turning it, you see different aspects, more spectacular than before. And you turn it again. And that, my brothers and sisters, that's what it's like to look at the fruit of the Spirit. Not the fruits of the Spirit. There are not nine fruits here listed. It's the fruit of the Spirit. It's like looking at a dazzling jewel from different angles. Nine different angles. That's the work of God in the life of the one he redeems through his blood, His son's blood. It's not you working harder, trying harder, applying more pressure to yourself. God will do it. He will do the work. We know this because that's what this book has been teaching us. That it starts and finishes with the work of God in your life. That's what it means when we say to walk by the Spirit. It is as much about recognizing and expecting the work of the one who has already transformed you to expect and recognize and see that it's going to happen to its completion. Earlier we read in the assurance of pardon that we are created for good works. We are whose workmanship? God's workmanship. He's creating us to show forth his glory through our transformed lives. This is the goal he is working out in each of us. Fruit of the Spirit, noted here, which we are seeking to understand, describes the productive work of the Holy Spirit in your life, the life of the believer. 
The text bids us in these 11 verses to walk by the Spirit. It says, live by the Spirit, be led by the Spirit. I think too many people make this too complicated. It's like they're waiting around to be zapped somehow or, or sense some, some special vision or something from the Spirit to know now I'm walking with the Spirit. When in fact, this is simply using a picture very clear to those who would have been living in this day. Walking is the way progress is made. There wasn't another way. Maybe you might have enough money to buy a chariot, but very few people did. Walking is equal to progress. It's moving forward with. That's what it means to walk with the Spirit. We have learned in our three weeks together that walking by the Spirit requires several things. We spent the first two weeks analyzing the Spirit Himself. Who is He? What does He do? If Paul's bidding us to walk by the Spirit, we have to have a right understanding of who the Spirit is. Then last week, we spent time considering this great battle, this epic battle between the flesh, our sinful fallen nature, and the Spirit of God who now indwells us by Christ, through Christ. Then we'll consider recognizing what the fruit of the Spirit are and expecting to see in our lives how we might expect it. But first, by way of review... When the text tells us to walk by the Spirit, remember who the Spirit is and what He does. The Spirit is not some angelic being or some special ability granted by God. The Spirit is none other than the third person of the Trinity, God Himself, indwelling you. That's who the Spirit is. What does the Holy Spirit do? It's better asked, what does the Holy Spirit not do? Every spiritual blessing you have is because of the Holy Spirit's ministry. Everyone starts with his breathing new life into you, regenerating you. That's the regenerative ministry of the Holy Spirit. Starts right there. Can't understand or interpret or care about anything spiritual without the Holy Spirit giving you life. From that point, it just keeps getting better. The Holy Spirit doesn't stop with justification. Continues with the process of sanctifying, cleaning you up, making you more and more appreciative and desirous of the righteousness of God and less and less thrilled with the sin that we love so much apart from God. The Holy Spirit works to sanctify us by bringing conviction in our lives. He works with your conscience to bring Scripture to bear and convicts you of sin. The Holy Spirit brings things to remembrance that you would not remember apart from the special ministry the Holy Spirit has. Jesus said, I'll send my Spirit to bring to remembrance those things that I've taught you. We might say that he illuminates the scriptures when we read the scriptures. They're not just some dead uh, words on a page, some literature or some literary work. It's living and active, meaning the spirit wrote the scripture according to God's will. And the spirit then applies and makes active to your life. The Holy Spirit never stops working in your sanctification because ultimately the Holy Spirit is about bringing glory to Jesus and glory to the Father. And one of the main ways that's done, at least in our experience, is by turning sinners into people who reflect the glory of God more and more. And we cannot do this without the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit, whom Paul refers, is God himself working in us. Now this is important as it leads to the second aspect of walking by the Spirit that we studied last week. It has to do with the battle between the flesh and the Spirit. I say all this, and many of you would say amen, but all of us would be thinking in the back of our heads, that's true, I know it's positionally right, I know the Scripture says it, I know I ought to believe it, I know that God looks at me and sees Christ legally, He sees Christ's righteousness, He accepts me on that basis, He adopts me on that basis, I see the Scripture says it, but here's the problem, I keep failing. 
That's the story of my life. And John Stott, who is this gentle, older saint, father in the faith, who looks very calm on the outside, he describes this reality for every Christian by saying this. What takes place within the heart, mind, soul, and body of the believer is nothing less than a civil war, a violent confrontation between opposing forces and irreconcilable antagonism. He captures the true experience of every Christian. We know what is true, but we struggle so much with what to do. And we don't like to talk about it either. I, many of you spoke to me during, throughout the week and said, man, that, that's exactly my experience. This war that goes on. I know what's true, but I'm struggling so much with what to do. And it's kind of, I think, in churches in general, that, that thing we just don't talk about a lot because maybe it's, it's, it's so graphic for each of us. There's so many particular sins in our lives that we hate, that we're disgusted with. And so even talking, we want to come to church and just have that out of our mind for a while. And there's a sense in which focusing upon the glory of God is good. It's a good escape from who we are. But God never wants us to stay there. He wants to apply the gospel to even the sins that continue in our life. And it's sort of like that talk between parents and kids when you have to have the talk. No one wants to have it. We've got to have it in church as it relates to the sin versus the sin of our flesh versus the spirit of God. In the battle that is real, it's the normal, the normal experience for every Christian. I know this because Paul writes in Romans 7, Paul, the apostle, the great big apostle. He says, for I do not understand my own actions. Now, wait a minute. Paul, you don't understand your actions. You uh, come from a pedigree unlike any others. You are in line to be the chief priest of the Jews. You knew the Bible better than anybody. You met Christ on the road to Damascus. You had several years Many years before you wrote Galatians and then several after that before Romans. And you're saying you don't understand your own actions. He says, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Okay, that's the experience of the Apostle Paul. I submit to you that will be the common experience for every person. He says in Romans 7, 19, for I do, uh, I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, here's what's amazing to me about this, humanly speaking, about Paul. Helps me greatly. He wrote Galatians probably 10 years before Romans, okay? Maybe 15. So when he writes Galatians in verse 17 that I just read, it says, For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit. The desires of the spirit are against the flesh. Talking about the battle. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. So it's personal. Keep you from doing the things you want to do. It's like he, he recognizes this. He gets it. Well, 10 years later, maybe 15 years later, maybe you might expect Paul to say, man, has it gotten easier? You know, back then, it was tougher for me. You know, it's just things are just different now. Instead, what we read is a much more elaborate description of the same battle he mentions in Galatians. When we come to Romans, I do not understand my own actions. I've had 10 to 15 years to think about this further since I wrote Galatians, and I still don't get what I do. Why do I do it? I hate it, but I do it. That's the context for Paul telling us to walk by the Spirit. I promise you he is not saying, listen, you belligerent people. This is what the flesh looks like, and you better not have any of this in you. And here's the fruit of the Spirit. You better look like this, or you're not really one of us. I promise that's not what he's saying. Not Paul. He's saying, you better get the gospel straight from the beginning, or you won't get it through to the end. And it's always been the righteousness of Christ. It's always been the initiation of God. It's always been his workmanship then, and it will continue through and be unto the end. Then you can walk by the Spirit if you get that. 
And guess what? It's not my good half or my redeemed half against my sinful half. Like the proverbial devil on one shoulder and the angel on the other. That's not true of us. It's our sinful nature having been crucified, which is a a nasty process, with the holy God fighting it. Who wins that battle? I promise you it's the spirit. This is not a battle against equals, the flesh and the spirit. It's ugly, especially up front. It's ugly when we decide to feed the flesh instead of walk with the spirit. But make no mistake, in the big scheme of things, what God's doing, we are his workmanship and his spirit will prevail over the flesh. And not ultimately till glory will we taste this completely, but we will get to see victories along the way. That's the truth of the battle between the flesh and the spirit. The spirit of God, not just ours or the good side versus the bad. It's God doing a sovereign work. And you may be downtrodden today thinking, but you have no idea. I just keep doing the same thing over and over. And brother and sister, I pray for God's grace to be so clear to you that you're compelled to say no the next time. But I know that even if you don't, God has not removed his righteous, loving hand from you. Think of that again, and maybe you will be able to say no the next time when the battle comes. If it tweaks you, if it kind of convicts you to think of this, it's kind of like when your mother would pour stuff on your cuts. She'd always tell you that it was good for you. It would burn. If it didn't burn, it wasn't good for you, I guess. But foam would come up. And what would the mom always say? It's working. Something's bubbling up. When you think of this, I submit to you, it's working. And if you did not have the Holy Spirit of God indwelling in you, you would not care. You would blow me off right now. Or you'd think about someone else's sin and how they've got the problem, not you. But if you've got the Holy Spirit of God indwelling in you because by faith, trust in Christ, rely upon Christ, then let the bubble continue as we consider the fruit of the Spirit now. The last part of our study involves looking at verse 22 and verse 23 in particular. Let's consider the fruit, singular fruit of the Spirit recognizing what it is, as it's mentioned and revealed here, and then expecting to see the fruit of the Spirit manifested in our lives. If it's the work of God, we should expect to see it grow. Lest we think that one or two of these things alone might be manifested by the Spirit. It's not how it works. The Holy Spirit of God embodies all these things and works them through our lives wholly. Now, there will be parts of your life that will be violently opposed are confronted by the fruit of the Spirit because they're areas that for you personally, they're real difficulties. Uh, but make no mistake, the Spirit of God doesn't pick and choose different aspects of the fruit. All of them are applied in the life of the believer and start to manifest themselves in war against the flesh from the beginning, the time that he regenerates you. If you look at, there are nine listed aspects to the fruit of the Spirit or attributes of the fruit of the Spirit. And you can break them down into categories. The first three Love, joy, and peace regard our disposition or mindset towards God and then by extension to man. So it has to do with our disposition or mindset regarding God. Uh, The second three really deals more with patience, kindness, goodness, our relationship to others, how we interact with each other, how we manifest the fruit of the Spirit with each other. Finally, this really speaks to our character since our character is being changed from that sinful 
selfish, fleshly person to the one who has a new identity in Christ. And our character is manifested by faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, the work of God in us. Let's consider these triads. First, the, the first three mentioned in verse 22. Love. Love is the highest of these because it's a picture of the selflessness that God showed towards us in sending his son. With that great example of the one who came, even though he did not have to and did not need to, he came, gave of himself, laid aside independent access to his great attributes for a time while he paid for our sins actively and passively and then rose again. This is the ultimate picture of selflessness, sacrifice for the concern of others. And that's really what love is. And love is what is manifested by God to us. And then it starts to work in your life. And you'll have these moments as a believer where you're still struggling with your constant selfishness. It never completely goes away in this life. But you will have moments and it could be with your children. It could be with your spouse. It could be with other people who are in need and you see it. And you find yourself reacting to it in a sacrificial way, which you are willing to give of yourself for them so that you can bring comfort, bring peace, bring joy to someone else. And I would suggest to you that that's an aspect of the fruit of the spirit that you could not have conjured on your own. That's love. Secondly, joy. We're not talking here about a warm feeling as such or happiness. We don't mean that joy isn't usually defined in such terms, we can certainly have happiness. It's a great blessing of God. But joy is different. Joy is deeper and better. It has to do with a deep-seated contentment with God's will, whatever it is. It could come in the form of tears. But it's a contentment that recognizes the, the sovereign, fatherly hand upon all things, even the worst of them. That's joy. Deep-seated contentment. This is the fruit of the Spirit, or one of the aspects of the fruit of the Spirit. You cannot conjure this on your own. Peace. It's been said by one author that as the flesh is killed, and the desires of the flesh, the war begins to calm, and there's peace, and that's true. But ultimately, the peace that a believer can experience is, is a recognition, sometimes consciously, sometimes subconsciously, that they are all right with God now, and there's a peace no matter what else happens. I'm okay with God now. I'm right with God now because of Jesus, my mediator. Love, joy, peace, these all have to do with their disposition or mindset towards God. But look at our relationship with others and how it's affected by the work of the Spirit in our life. God starts to cultivate patience in us. And an old word for this is long-suffering. It has to do with suffering for a long time without freaking out. That's what patience really is. And it's the one that is most difficult for me. I'm not patient in myself because my sinful flesh wants things done now the way I want to do them. And quite frankly, I can do them better than you. So move out of my way. But God, praise God, was far more patient with me. Certainly anything that's ever been accomplished through you or me or the ministry that God's given to you, he could have done better with somebody else or done it himself. But in patience, and because of the work he is doing, overall, he works with us. He uses us with all our infirmities. And he does his will, and he does his work patiently. And hopefully over time, you would expect this to become clearer to us. That we would be patient as God has been patient with us. 
long-suffering, not so easily offended, built on a compassion. This leads to kindness, or it's partly connected to kindness, as you'd expect. And kindness, very simply, is friendliness, or it's a hospitality towards others. It's giving of yourself for them to make them comfortable. It's a concern for the needs of others. You see a need, and you don't take account of what it might cost you. You try to fill that need. You, this is a family member. This is a brother or sister. Then I, I must, I, I gotta help them. That's what kindness is. That's, that's the Spirit of God working in you. Because without the Spirit of God, we're self-preservationists first. We find ways to comfort ourselves first, and then maybe think of others if we got something left. Kindness is different. It turns it around, and God starts to, to make us more concerned for others than ourselves and willing to do things we'd never dream we'd do apart from the Spirit of God. You know, when someone says, so-and-so is such a kind person or a patient person, that's a great compliment, but recognize, really that should be returned as a praise to God. God has made this person so kind. He's given this person such gentleness. Goodness. An upright heart that is quick to complete a thoughtful deed. You think of something to do that needs to be done, and you do it. Not looking for accolade for doing so or pat on the back, but simply doing it because it's the right thing to do. It goes to motivation. It has to do with what makes a person tick, what makes a person operate, what makes a person function the way that they do. I hope that you have individuals in your life, and we have many in our church, that you can look to to see this process of the Spirit of God manifesting itself in their life, working itself out, and it's a blessing to you. You know, this is Reformation Sunday and week. You know, we spend a whole week thinking of Reformation here, which is exciting. And Sunday night, tonight, we're going to look at a two-part study of Calvin and his life and his contribution to it. It's a glorious part of church history that God orchestrated uh, we normally would have Dr. Calhoun here. You remember he's been here the last three years, a seminary professor and mentor of mine. And uh, he's been suffering with some ill health for quite some time. And he's had some heart problems this last year and has not been able to come because of this. And as I was studying this week and thinking of this passage, I, I thought of the fruit of the Spirit. And there, there are many individuals that fit this. And I just don't say it to embarrass the brethren here, but I can think of many of you that I've seen this work in varying levels, by the way. Brand new believers started to manifest the fruit of the Spirit by God's work. And, and some of you have been walking with the Lord a long time and seeing that a great encouragement that is to us. Uh, but Dr. Calhoun, I could tell you that I've watched the man for, for 15 years now and have been just continually amazed by the trials and tribulations that he has from a health perspective. I mean, he has had over 30 colonoscopies in the last five years to keep the cancer at bay. He's now had open heart surgery recently with a valve uh, repair and then a pacemaker. And Yet, I can promise you, I've never heard him speak in a complaining way, yet he's not skipping around in some fake way saying he loves it all either. But there's some deep-seated contentment there that he has, and I'll never forget when he got up to preach one of the times in between chemotherapy and radiation, and he could barely stand, and he was preaching on Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And he got up before he said anything, and people wondered what he'd say because he hadn't preached in months hadn't even been able to teach at seminary for over a year and a half at one point. And he got up and he said, everything from the hand of God is good. Then he started his sermon. Most powerful introduction I've ever heard. He bore the scars of this life. And he deals with the battle. He'll tell you personally he does too. But the fruit of the Spirit is having its work in his life. It's making him more humble. And therefore, through that humility, he's able to manifest 
the fruit of the Spirit all the more clearly. Finally, the last triad, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control so closely related. Faithfulness has to do with dependability, comes straight from God, the ultimate uh, ultimate dependability and trustworthiness. It has to do with loyalty, that God would give us loyalty, uh, to give us truth behind our word and our commitment, faithfulness in this way. You can count on them. And gentleness flows from patience and kindness, you can see. It's a disposition that is from a, a humble stature. And it doesn't mean that you're some kind of a, a weakling or some, some hyper-pacifist. It means that you are one who does not need harshness to bolster your position. Gentleness. And oh, we need gentleness so much from folks. If we know we're wrong, but there's a right way and a wrong way for that to be brought to our attention. There's a gentle way. We'll see that later in Galatians when he bids us to restore the brother who's fallen with gentleness. Self-control. That means spirit-controlled. It's funny. It's, I, I think it's purposeful because the flesh is the ultimate in self-gratification. To experience or to carry out self-control must have assistance and empowerment from the Holy Spirit. One who's able to keep his or her temple, temper or emotions or behavior at bay. That's a work of the Spirit. So recognize what the work of the Spirit is and the fruit that you see there listed. But consider now, finally, kind of the culmination of this study in walking by the Spirit. Okay, well, how is the fruit of the Spirit manifested in the life of Christian? How? 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 I want to know. Well, you may be underwhelmed to know that this very study that we are undertaking is how is we recognize what God is doing and then come to expect it to show itself in our lives. But there are some definite particulars that we apply ourselves to. It's not to say you just sit passively. No, this activity of God that we're recognizing necessarily prompts us, pushes us, moves us, motivates us into action. That's how it happens. First, we recognize how the fruit of the Spirit is manifested, how we walk by the Spirit. We have to know first that by the power of of God in according to his grace. We got to get out of the dichotomy between he saved us. Now I've got to do the rest. It's he saved us and he keeps saving us. It never stops. That gives us a whole new confidence about the work of God that he will complete. He's begun this work and he'll complete it. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. He has not stopped with simply justifying us. He's carrying it out to sanctification with the end goal being a lot bigger than this glorification for eternity. So it's the work of God by his power. He has initiated the work of the spirit in your life and he will continue to work. He grants redeeming grace. He will grant sustaining grace. The same gospel message continues to work to sanctify us and manifest the fruit of the spirit. That's the first part of walking by the spirit. But in, secondly, we cannot forget that we walk by the Spirit in conjunction with God's Word because the Word of God is written by the Spirit of God. Walking by the Spirit, being led by the Spirit, it's not nearly as mystical and mysterious as it's sometimes cracked up to be. We don't walk by the Spirit in some detached way, waiting to be de 
zapped by the Holy Spirit or sit in long hours of prayer until the Spirit of God finally moves us and writes something on the wall for us and all these various uh, spectacular, fantastical ways that are drummed up. And the fact is, the Spirit of God may be saying, if we could hear it, I gave you my word. Here it is. And I will attend to it as you read it, hear it, teach it, meditate upon it, memorize it. And furthermore, the Word tells us He gives us signs of these things that help us too. The Lord's Supper, baptism, these visible signs and seals of His covenant of grace. So He gives us means to walk by the Spirit, His Word and His sacraments. This is how we walk with and make progress with the Spirit. In that light, if I were to tell you, I want you to get to know who C.S. Lewis was. You might right away go to the internet, look him up, and then you read what Wikipedia says on him. Or the latest person that wrote something about him in that definition. But you know the best way to get to know who C.S. Lewis is? Pick up his books. Start reading them. And you'll get to a point where you read, you think you've read them all, and you'll hear there's another book or an article he wrote. And you'll go and try to find that and read it. Because you're trying to piece together who was this guy, what made him tick. You know, he's so multifaceted. He's a complex individual. Boy, he wrote this before he was married. This wrote this after his wife died. He wrote this in a period of life. And you, you just start reading it all and you start taking it in because you want to know who C.S. Lewis is. And let me tell you, C.S. Lewis is very interesting, but not nearly as interesting as the triune God. And he's given us his word and we act like the Spirit's supposed to zap us when the Spirit gave us the Bible and we can know God. So, why don't we spend more time in the Word? It's a constant question I ask of myself, not to put the guilt trip on you. Why do I not come to walk with the Spirit more by simply meditating upon what He has given us here? So little of it accomplishes so much. Walking by the Spirit has to happen. It does happen in conjunction with the Word of God. Finally, and do not forget this point, what God is doing with this clump of coal, can be said individually. But you know what else, brothers and sisters? What God is doing with the clump of coal can be said corporately too. The church. He's taking this lifeless, black entity and by pressure turning it into a beautiful thing, the very bride of the Lord Jesus. Pure. So what I mean to say to you is that you walk by the Spirit, by God's power and grace, you walk by the Spirit, by His Word, no doubt, But do not forget that it is by God's design that you walk by the Spirit with His people. This is where God has given the gifts of the Spirit to the people, to the church. He has not given me all the gifts of the Spirit. He has not given your family all the gifts of the Spirit. He's not given your home fellowship group or this other club you're part of or whatever it may be. He has given the church of Jesus Christ the gifts of the Spirit to edify the body. We should be in communion with each other in many ways. Because that's the way He grows us and helps us and walks us with the Spirit. With His people. The redeemed, He saved a people for Himself. A prize. Priesthood of all believers. A kingdom of priests. We're together. We're a family. Brothers and sisters. With the Spirit indwelling us. And collectively, He's given us all the, spirit, all the spiritual gifts needed for our growth in grace and for that process of molding to happen to present us faultless and blameless on the day that the Lord Jesus returns. Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the lusts of the flesh. It says in our text before us, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, 
patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Let us pray. Father, we are so grateful for the great work you are doing in our lives. You started in the day that you joined us together with your Son by faith, and you promised not to ever leave us or forsake us, and you continue to work us, to mold us, to shape us into something beautiful. Lord, we confess that there is a constant struggle in our minds with a contradiction between what we know is true in your word and our seemingly never-ending failings. But Lord, grant us reprieve for a moment that we might just back up for a second and see the progress you are working. That even the conviction we feel now today is more sensitive and more real than it was five years ago. Help us to see victory now for your glory. But in that victory, never, ever, Lord, let us feel pride. Let us always, ever be so thankful for what Jesus has purchased for us, the surety of it, the firmness of it, the total reliability of the work of Christ. And as a response, God, I pray that we would be a grateful people who learn to recognize your work in our life and take no credit for it and expect to see it grow till the day you call us home. Please, Lord, do this for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's sing as a prayer as we prepare for the Lord's Supper 598. Let's stand and sing verse 1.